Welcome, friends, to a hit different, the bonus episode with Jeremy First from Applejack Management. He looks after the Teskey Brothers. He looks after Little Quirks, Liz Stringer. He also runs the Bridge Hotel in Castlemaine. Please get up there. One of the most beautiful beer gardens and pubs you'll ever go to. Straight up, my partner said to tell you that our canopy out the back is going to be rivaling yours quite shortly. I'll take a photo and send it to you afterwards. You've got a beautiful canopy. Uh, yeah, we've started. Kasha set it up in our courtyard. It's looking dope. So you're an inspiration. It's an inspiration. Basically, I'm just trying to get Jeremy and maintain his good mood because he's in COVID isolation and he misses the Teskey Brothers playing, headlining the Blues Blues Fest this this uh, coming weekend. So I don't know why I brought it up again. But anyway, I'm just trying to give you a good vibe. So friend, Jeremy, first time you heard something, a piece of music as a young kid and you were like, what the fuck? You know, Pearl Jam was just, was it for me from very young. I think obviously people glean music from their older siblings and that was definitely the case for me i had their album 10 you know i think by the time i got them onto them they probably had three albums out i think there was sort of that 10 versus vitology three albums how about that for like three albums to start kick off a career it's just like how can how can 10 be your debut how can you debut with 10 (laughs) you know what i mean yeah it's got to be one of the best debut albums of all time but it's also just like for me, at the time, you know, I was listening to Triple J and they they obviously played a lot of Pearl Jam. They were playing, you know, the more recent Pearl Jam, but I'm like, okay, cool, I need to know all about this artist. And then I got 10 was the first CD I owned and, and you know, just poured over cool. that thing for, for, for months and months and months. And I think it just really sort of set me on a path of, like, being really into melody and stuff that just you know is kind of uplifting. I mean, it's aged really well. It's it's not a it's not a cheesy listen. The production is 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 definitely nineties, but it's it's it has aged very well as an album. That's the thing about the pandemic is it sort of set me on a bit of a nostalgia run. We've shared this experience where they just sort of started going for the comfort food of their favorite albums over the past couple of years, and and um, rather than you know being fed lots of new music we've we've sort of delved back into where where we grew up or what what we used to love and you know that grunge time silver chair was huge for me um you know uh, i think you know going back to our our conversation earlier about the big day out it was like it was so much part of what was coming out every january for the big day out um and and it really just evolved through through like you know the the punk kind of the grunge and the punk stuff and then it's just like as i've aged it's just slowly become uh more and more accessible and palatable like like most people but you know i've i've definitely had periods of electronic um and hip-hop were, were my favorite kinds of music um you know probably through the early 2000s and then, you know, which was again led by The Big Day Out and then, you know, and Meredith. But then, you know, I remember do seeing, also seeing one year at Golden Plains, a band called Old Medicine Crow jumped up on stage. Oh, yeah. They were like a bluegrassy band, I think from South Carolina or somewhere around there. They were having so much fun with banjos and, and mandolins and, and you know, slide guitars and... and um. I mean, I've I had heard lots of country at that point in my life, but 
I hadn't really experienced a legit band just, you know, just really wailing and nailing it uh, like they did. And that kicked off, I think, a lot of the music that I listen to now. It's a lot, a lot of country-leaning stuff. It's been a journey. After Pearl Jam, from that moment on, what's the next music that you maybe you see you saw on Rage? The the next thing, the next artist that um really changed you? I think UMI probably maybe like I think you know I got into them again through my brother and and while Pearl Jam were amazing, it was just like it was such a massive and and it was an arena thing and it was um and it was you know once every five years or whatever they would tour Australia. So it was just like a, a, a distance. Whereas UMI were this band that were playing around the place and they even played underage shows. So it was, you know, around that time, you know, they had a song called 15 on that album. I was 15 when it came out. They played an underage show at the Hi-Fi Bar in Melbourne and and it was, you know, one of the bands that I could actually go and see because... That, you know, there were bands were playing underage shows, but mostly they were the punky kind of bands. And all my friends were into punk, into, you know, Friends Will Rom, Body Jar, that stuff. But I was kind of definitely more into the more melodic and, and you know, bigger rock sound. Mm. And obviously you and I were, were doing some amazing things at the time. So, so they became my staple. And I remember seeing them so much and, and also just like, uh, really feeling affinity with with their fans when I'd go and see them. You'd just see smiles on faces because uh. the band would enjoy playing live. Tim Rogers would be, you know, skipping around the stage, having a great old time, and and it was there was a lot of tongue in cheek to that, and and just you know just a bit of silliness to it that that I think everyone loved, and and so I definitely fell in a thing of of going to see them least a few times a year when they'd come around and and I think that sort of definitely informed a lot of the other music that I was listening to that because it, it was you know a rock and roll thing and I, I didn't see myself as being particularly rock and roll in any way there were lots of kids who went to you know 161 or whatever those rock nights <laughs> were you know and and like danced to rock DJs and 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 it was a whole scene back then and the strokes and you know the white stripes and like I loved the bands, but I just wasn't really, didn't really sort of identify with that whole scene. Maybe I just didn't have like the height and the the the, yeah. the boots to to pull it off. <laughs> but um, but yeah, like rock and roll was great, and and you know Tim Rogers would do interviews and talk about the Rolling Stones, so I got into the Rolling Stones. He'd talk about Iggy Pop. He would talk mm. about you know even more obscure bands, and so I, you know, you 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 end up listening to. Or reading interviews with your favorite artists, and then that points you in a direction. I think, and I still do that. I still listen to Big time. or hear an artist name drop someone else and go, "All right, I'm going to go check that out straight away because mm-hmm. I love what you do." And if if you like that, then maybe it'll it'll be amazing. So I mm. still do that for sure. Mm. You talk about this sort of the uh, yeah fourth record. So it was Sound as Ever, Hi-Fi Way, Alley Alley, and then the number four record, actually number four. Uh, Heavy Heart has some country leanings on it. And when's the first time, you know, with, um, you mentioned this old Crow Medicine show, those, those moments got you to sort of Americana and country music. How did that all happen? Well, Tim Rogers did a solo album, which, which you know, 
they on their albums had acoustic, almost Americana sounding songs. Ali Daly, you know, um, Heavy Heart, as you mentioned. And so there was like elements of that. And then and then Tim Rogers did a solo album which had um, a whole lot of real kind of country feel on it. Um, and that was definitely an entry point for me. Um, and then, you know, through that you kind of learn about Wilco and, you know, some of that early Americana stuff. I don't know. It, it just became a thing um at the time melbourne started embracing country a lot mm. there was a band called kill devil hills from wa yep. who yep. who did a tour of australia and they had done plenty of tours but then they got to melbourne and suddenly they were selling out you know five shot five nights at the tote or something crazy like that and it was just like melbourne just embraced country all of a sudden and there were all these rock and roll bands that had kind of a country leaning like dallas crane and and Dan Brody, and it was a whole scene. So so it just became the norm, and, and I just sort of figured, well, this is kind of the world doing this, everyone listening like this around the place. But, but it turns out it was just a kind of a Melbourne thing, and, you know, venues like The Tote and The Retreat probably had a lot to do with that as well because they would just book lots of bands that kind of made this music. And I think it just, you know, it's always felt like a little niche little scene in melbourne it's felt like a sort of you know not a not a mainstream thing at all in australia and and there and it's just interesting to watch country find its different places in the world and having traveled to america now quite a few times i'd see sort of see how it sits over there and it's just like this whole other world and it's got so many elements to it you know there's 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 obviously the real commercial country that's all over the radio and it's just, you know, they sell out stadiums over there. They're the biggest artists in the country. But then there's also, you know, the Americana world and, and there's even like, you know, hip-hop and like the Lil Nas X thing has just opened up country in a whole different genre as well. And I think it's a really versatile place and it's it's just like it's – and there's lots of um, new and interesting ways of interpreting country music that I think people kind of probably don't realize and, and it gets written off I think a lot in Australia as a sort of a cringe thing but it but it just feels like there's just so many great things out there but ultimately it comes back to just you know the culture of songwriters and and people who combine really great lyrics with a really great melody and they're not as they don't start with the groove they don't start with you know the sound or the the, the loop or the beat you know it always starts with words you know over chords and for me that's music in its purest form it's songwriting its purest form it's it's what the Beatles did and and it's what you know all the great songwriters have done and and I think songs are so important um and and that's why I like working with songwriters in my in my business because I think you know it's it's the songwriters that really connect with me rather than say you know the band that has the the most outrageous, you know, riff or the, the, you know, the artist with the, with the latest sounding beats. Who'd have thunk that Little Nas X would team up with Billy Ray Cyrus for a hit called Old Town Road? Like, that just came out of nowhere, didn't it, you know? It's genius. Well, there, there is kind of a backstory in that where there, there had been a few minor hits of, of combining country with hip hop. It wasn't. Okay. 
it wasn't the he wasn't the first to do it. He's definitely the biggest. Right. But that sort of idea had been kicking around a bit, and I think like all music at the moment, you know, it works on trends. And and mm-hmm. I'm not saying necessarily he followed a trend or whatever, but it was just something that had been kicking around, and and he just sent it off into the stratosphere. But but um, but you know the the the, the different mixes of of genre that you see there and like there's all that stuff is happening all the time in the states and there's so many artists just pumping out interesting things so um we only catch you know when we look at the spotify top 100 or whatever we only catch the the top echelon of it but there's there is lots of this stuff bubbling under the surface if you go digging and you're a digger you're always being very curious as a human uh when did you get into dance music electronic music um 2004, Basement Jacks played the Big Day Out. Hell yeah. Again, referencing Big Day Out and Ken West's legacy. Like, that that um, that album had been big. Where's Your Head At was just, like, all over radio. And and um, I think they headlined that the, the big top. And it was just, like, like, I'd seen heaps of electronic stuff in the big top over the years. But that was the first time I was like, I am really, really soaking this up and loving it. Um, yeah. I think Chemical Brothers came out, you know, around the same time and Cut Copy was really getting going at the same time and it was just so much so much good electronic music at the time. You know, I was at an age where I could stay out all night as well. I still had that kind of energy in me. So, you know, we just we just went with it and it's kind of fallen away completely in terms of like, oh, I don't go clubbing at all. I did did get into it at festivals a lot around that time and I did get into it, you know, house parties or whatever, have since moved on and, and still have so much respect for the genre. Just just don't ever put it on when I'm listening to music at home. Don't ever put it on when I'm working. And if I'm out, I'm out to see a band, hopefully sometime before 11 p.m. Yep. I really want to stick around after that. Annie Mack is actually uh, the BBC's Annie Mack. She's just announced parties called Before Midnight and they start at 7pm and it builds up and then finishes at the strike of midnight. She's like, I'm sick of, you know, telling people, yeah, I'm going to be on at 1am, 2am, 3am. So it's a great idea, you know, start early, finish yeah. early. You want to go for kick-ons, go for kick-ons, but that should be the focus. I think it's, um, yeah, we need to replicate it out here. Yeah, absolutely. Two dads having a chat. <laughs> <laughs> Listen but, uh, to us. Yeah, but uh, honestly, like, I think we can all agree Usually the peak of the night as well, like when I when I do parties, etc. Ten thirty, eleven, eleven thirty, around there. That's like the real the energy in a room is just is something else. So, yeah, it's um it's definitely something we, we should look into. We can start a, a a project up, Jazz. I feel like this is the beginning of something beautiful. Uh, so we we move on instead of into your thirties, into your thirties, and up until now, what what music? has been sort of really doing it for the, I guess the music that moves you the most because you're very much a person who adores songwriters in Americana and country what's the most moving kind of music that's been for you in your 30s the great songwriters are you know Lucinda Williams uh, I'm a huge fan of Waxahachie um, yeah. I'm a huge fan of Neil Young uh, look I think there's just like there are so many out there who are doing incredible things with simply their voice and and a guitar i love it when it expands and it becomes you know production wise becomes a whole thing unto itself and you know the whole 
the whole song or the whole album has has its own unique sound. And I think, you know, artists need to search for that. They can't just, you know, be a singer-songwriter and expect that everyone's just going to love their voice and their acoustic guitar as it sounds in the bedroom. I think you need to be more experimental than that. Um, and so it's just combining those that sort of that sort of idea of experimenting with sounds, but never letting that get in the way of the message and and the beauty of of, of a song as it's in its purest form. Mm-hmm. And and so there's you know I think Jeff Tweedy is king of it. Mm-hmm. Like he he knows mm-hmm. how to he knows how to fuck things up just enough so you are intrigued and you are you know sort of something catches you there's tension in it in it but it's also a really simple beautiful you know chords and lyrics and a a verse that that tells a story or 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 you know uh or or a motif that really strikes you and it's just like those simple things about songwriting will always be and it's just like i'm loving those kinds of artists who who just you know lean on their strengths as a as as a storyteller or lean on their strengths as like you know uh being able to paint a picture with words i think big thief is a really interesting band but they do it in such a unique way and and they're being so honest with their music and and the way they record and it just feels like there's no pretension whatsoever it's just like it's completely just them in a room and they're trying things they're experimenting but they're also just like just really still focused on what what the songs are about and 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 trying to you know create moments and and meaning through their songs it's it's such a beautiful thing completely apropos of nothing are you a deer hunter fan because i feel like this when you talk about big thief then it just reminded me of deer hunter yeah i mean deer hunters i mean i haven't talked about or thought about them for a while i remember the laneway tour they came out huge sort of band when it comes to like beautiful simple melodies but then they just like twist it up and make it really interesting somehow very unique bands hard agree uh and even with your own band you talk about uh recording and sort of processes etc how far off when i say your band the teske brothers obviously because you manage them how far off is the third album and will they be recording analog again because that was a bit of a nightmare but the result you know, it bore <laughs> incredible fruit. <laughs> it did bear incredible fruit, and you know there is there is definitely a, an oral quality to their albums that I guess you would have to put down to the process of recording analog. It's an interesting conversation because you know when they talk to we've been talking to producers and and just talking internally about how to record in future and different ways to do things and. It's not like they're like, oh, we only do it that way and we're never going to touch a computer. You know, that's not their headspace. It's just like, well, those songs, we could do it in that way and it would work, you know, and they've been writing songs lately and, you know, I don't don't know when they're going to record, but they'll, they'll have basically a choice to make when they come to record and it won't be like, oh, you know, which analog studio are we doing it? It is like, do we want to do it in analog or do we want to, you know, do we want to try something different? I think, you know, artists, they, they're very open-minded. One thing I like about them is they're not sort of stuck in sort of an old school mindset of we do everything a certain way. They, they like to, you know, explore and try new things. And so I think 
it could be something that they just do digitally in future and if that's what the songs require it's kind of just about you know what the handful of songs they've written really need and and possibly also if they're working with a producer what what that producer's comfort zone is you know paul butler who recorded run home slow or produced run home slow i should say he he um you know he's very comfortable with tapes so it felt like a natural thing to do he he likes tape machines so um that's that's what they did but but uh who knows what the next thing will will, will sound like and and how they'll record it I'll make a prediction that they won't record with Paul Butler and they'll record it mostly not to tape. That's just my prediction. Who knows? I might be wrong. I like um, it. Yeah. I like it. <laughs> just put it out there. <laughs> Very good. Hey, Jess, uh, you've given us heaps of your time. Just tell us uh, the song or the album that's doing the most for you at the moment that you're perhaps leaning onto you in your hour of need right now. It was good question. <laughs> Do only Australians say shivers. Shivers is great. Shivers, because you start to say shit, and then you're like, I don't want to say shit, and you sort of change it to shivers. The Waxahachie album from the start of the pandemic, when early 2020, um, has just like been just so important. It's just like it's called Saint Cloud, and it's just like such such a like a simple, subtle album that i just have not been able to let go um so i'm absolutely loving that still and can't put it down uh and then the other thing that i keep coming back to which is probably the most dad thing that's ever going to get said on your podcast mikey but um radioheads in rainbows album is just like you know it's going back to that kind of comfort food thing i just like i started going back through their career and I had never really connected with In Rainbows and sort of just discovered it in the last few months and have just wow. been slaying it lately. It's just such a Ugh. fucking masterpiece. And I'm I'm Ugh. shocked at how good it is and how much I'd overlooked it at the time, um, which is, you know, what, 20 years ago or something, 15 years ago. So, yeah, 2007. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Wow. So that's, that's currently on my speakers. The song Reckoner. When it actually peaks and it kind of kicks back in, it's the most velvet hammer, some velvet morning. Like it just, it doesn't even, it doesn't really drop back in. It just, just gently caresses, caresses itself back into the room and sort of gives you a nice little back massage. Like it's, oh, I just can't get over how yeah. perfectly judged. And that's what they do throughout that whole record. They just perfectly judge each moment. Yeah, they do. And I think like, also it's just like, I didn't really pick up on how good Johnny Greenwood is as like, you know, doing all those string arrangements and like the, mm. the sort of really the classical kind of influence of his composition stuff. It's like, it's, it's, it's so subtle in there, but it makes such a massive difference to, to that mm. album. If you thought about any other band recording those songs, they wouldn't even get close no. to what what they did with those out with that album. Yeah, yeah. Um, there's a great Johnny Greenwood uh, interview recently. He's just really that classic self self deprecating Englishman, you know, of this this old thing kind of, you know. Whereas you're Johnny Greenwood, what you do is absolute art. Um, I've been listening to the Night Rider theme for some reason. I don't know why, but I'm really I'm digging on that. It's just taking me back to this kind yep. of cool synthy '80s vibe where David Hasselhoff was very. Um, Ubermensch, 
and also Cirrus by Bonobo. Bonobo's finally put out a track that doesn't put me to sleep, which is real cool. Uh, and got something in common, I think, with um, Panther to Prince and even some Radiohead kind of walk moments. All of that. Totally. You get on with your morning. Dig it so much that you're giving us all your time, my friend. Always an honor to hang and get your wisdom. Nice to chat, Mikey.